Well, if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got Bibles, again, in these black chair pockets and at the ends of the aisle, so please feel free to borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one. Um, We're turning to the book of Acts, chapter 12. So Acts is in the New Testament, kind of towards the back of the Bible, after the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 12. It'll also be on the screen behind me. So please follow along as I read from God's word. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord shone next to him, stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him of one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The book of Acts is the story of what happened after Jesus, after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and what happened to his disciples, his followers after that. And it's also the story of how this good news about Jesus, what the, what the book of Acts calls the word, how the word went out from Jerusalem, which is where the apostles were, all the way 
to Rome, to the capital of the world at that time, so that more and more people could hear about Jesus. It's the story of the word going out. And one of the rhythms of the book of Acts is that when the word is going out and more and more people are hearing it, more and more people are trusting it, things look like they're doing great, persecution arises. Now, like a lot of men of my generation, the imaginative world of my childhood was shaped by one story, a story that took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars is a story of a farm boy who gets caught up in a resistance movement against an evil empire, fighting Darth Vader, you know how this goes, and at the end of the first movie, there's this improbable, amazing victory. These rebels manage to blow up a space station so powerful it can destroy a whole planet. And everyone's going crazy. They think they've won everything. But do you guys remember what the second movie that follows Star Wars is called? The Empire Strikes Back, right? There's retaliation against this expansion, this victory. And that's what we see in the passage we're looking at this morning. The the gospel has been going out. There's this persecutor of the church, a guy named Paul, who hates Christianity, hates Jesus, meets Jesus, and becomes a preacher, becomes a local church pastor. And the gospel is going out not just to, to Jewish people who were the first Christians, but to Gentiles, people who had no background with the God of the Bible. And, and everything looks like it's going their way. Everything is going amazingly well, and then the empire strikes back. Then King Herod, who's the local ruler appointed by the Romans, he wants to find a way to please the people that live in Jerusalem. He wants to find a way to become a little more popular. And he knows that if he persecutes the Christians, he's going to earn some brownie points. And so verse 1 says that Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And one of the people that he laid violent hands on was James. And James is one of Jesus' first disciples. You might remember this scene. Jesus, walking along the Sea of Galilee, sees some guys fishing, just pulling their nets out of the water, and says to them, Come, follow me. And they became his first disciples. James is one of those. James is the brother of John. John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote 1, 2, and 3 John, who wrote the book of Revelation. That John, his brother, was seized and arrested and executed by Herod. And when he saw how popular it made him, he decided he's going to go after an even bigger fish. He was going to get Peter. So he had Peter arrested and thrown in prison And he was just waiting until the Jewish feast of Passover was over so we could bring him out and have him killed. And the church, as it so often does in the book of Acts, turned to prayer. It was so instinctive for them to pray. But it's not not so instinctive for us. It's not so instinctive for me. Prayer should be the most natural thing in the world. We have this omnipotent, God. He has all authority in the universe, and he says to his children, ask me for anything you wish. Talk to me about anything. God invites us to come to bring our needs to him, and we have an unending list of needs. We need money for the car repair. We need patience to bear with our kids. We need words to speak to our friend who's grieving. We have so many needs, and God has told us to ask, and we don't. We don't turn to him in prayer. And I think one of the root reasons why we don't pray is we just don't think it's going to do any good. We just think, well, God knows what he's going to do anyway, right? So what's the point of praying? What difference is it going to make? And we're aware that our prayers fall so far short of what God calls us to. We're aware that 
our faith maybe isn't as strong as we want it to be, that God's actually going to answer, or uh, we feel like we, don't, we get along with God, we don't even know what to say, and so we just, we just don't pray. We don't see that it's going to do any good. Even if God answers someone else's prayers, we don't have confidence that he's going to hear and answer ours. And if you can relate to this, then God's word has encouragement for you this morning. I know it's encouraged me this week. So we're going to look at three truths about prayer from Acts chapter 12. First truth, God responds in power to earnest prayer. Look at verses 4 and 5 of the passage. And when Herod had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is going to, he's going to pains in this passage to show us how much Peter was up against. So Peter has been arrested by the king, who acts on behalf of the emperor. And he's, his arrest has pleased the Jewish leadership. It's pleased the people. There's, there's going to be no prison break. Nobody's coming for him, right? And he's put in prison under lock and key. He's got four squads of soldiers watching him. So like four soldiers at a time, every three hours, their shift changes just to make sure no, no funny business happens during the night. And the last thing that's against Peter is time. Verse 6 tells us, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping. This is the last night. As far as Peter knows, this is his last night alive. So the king is against Peter. The people are against Peter. Prison is against Peter. Soldiers are against Peter. Time is against Peter. What is working on Peter's behalf? Only one thing. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Just prayer. Prayer is the only thing acting in Peter's behalf. How do you like his odds? But we know, we know what happens. An angel comes into the cell. Peter is sleeping so deeply, the angel has to hit him in the side. Get up, get dressed, follow me. The angel delivers him past all the guards into the city. He's free. God responds in power to earnest prayer. But do we believe that? The things we need can seem like such a big ask. We need a new car to replace the one that was totaled. We need a job so we can stay on island. We need, we need to see a change of heart in our spouse who seems to be drifting farther and farther away. And we think that because the needs seem big to us, that they're big to God. But God thwarted a king, and it was nothing. It took one angel. You know how many angels he has? And that one angel could have done a lot more than open a door. God responds in prayer, in power to earnest prayer. So what was true of this prayer, these, the prayers that these people offered, what was true of them um, that got answered so dramatically? Luke tells us that it was earnest prayer. Earnest means it was fervent, it was eager. It wasn't just sort of like half-hearted, what harm could it do, maybe, maybe God. No, they prayed earnestly for, God, for, for Peter. They, they prayed with fervency. It was earnest prayer and it was united prayer. They were together. It says that the church prayed earnestly for Peter. They got in gatherings, they got together, and they joined their voices to agree, asking God that he would release Peter. And it was persistent prayer. So this is the last night. They've been praying for days that God would release Peter from prison. It was down to the wire, and they were still praying. And when Peter got let out of the jail, it was the middle of the night. He was sleeping. 
So he goes at the middle of the night, no one's out, and he goes to Mary's house, and there's the church praying through the night for him. It was persistent prayer. God answers prayer. He wants us to know it. The reason why verse 5 is in your Bible is that so you wouldn't think, oh, Peter was so lucky. God let him out. So we would know that it was because the church was praying for him. But what should we say, what should we say to this objection, which I'm sure you guys have heard and maybe struggle with to some degree or another? Well, God has all power. He already knows what he's going to do. He's going to do what he wants, so why pray? And it's true. God does know what he's going to do. God knows the end from the beginning, and God is sovereign. He's the king. He does as he pleases, and no one can thwart him. But there's probably no other area of your life where believing that God is sovereign stops you from acting, right? You don't say, well, if it's God's will that my kids get lunch, they'll get lunch. So what's the point of making a sandwich? You don't say, well, if it's God's will that I get to work today, I'll get to work today. So why start my car? You know that the means God uses to feed your kids is you packing them a lunch or sending them money. You know that the means God uses to get you to work is your car or taking the bus. And prayer is the means God uses for acting in power for his people. God, God rescued Peter because the church prayed. So what might God want to accomplish through you praying? Maybe, maybe healing from a chronic illness. Maybe new affection in your marriage. Maybe an opportunity to talk about Jesus with someone at work. God responds in power to earnest prayer. But sometimes our hang-up is with that word, earnest. Because we don't know how to tell whether we're being earnest. How, we, don't, we don't know if our prayers are good enough. How, how good do our prayers have to be before God answers it? Are these, are these kind of like D-level prayers and I have like a 10% chance of an answer? We don't, we don't feel like our prayers live up to the ones we see in the Bible where God answers in power. And this passage has something to say about that as well. So the second truth we're going to see about prayer is that prayer doesn't have to be perfect to be answered. And one of the most remarkable things about this passage is how surprised everybody is that God answers their prayers. Now, let's look again at this scene when Peter comes to the house of Mary. Look at verse 12. When Peter realized where he was, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. So here you have this church that's gotten together to pray for Peter. And they are, they're praying through the night, God, please help Peter, please strengthen Peter, please deliver Peter, please bring Peter out. And there's a knock at the door. And the servant girl, Rhoda, goes to the door. And, you know, it's the middle of the night. You're not just going to open the door. So she says, who's there? And he says, it's Peter. And she's so happy. She comes inside. Peter's at the door. And they're all like, Rhoda, Peter is in prison. What what do you think that we are praying about? Peter is in prison. Peter is not at the door. No, 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 it's Peter. And these are the two scenarios they think are more likely than the fact that God has actually answered their prayer. One is that Rhoda has had some kind of mental breakdown. They say, Rhoda, you are out of your mind. Or two, they think it's more likely that Peter's guardian angel has come and knocked on the door to speak to them with Peter's voice. They said, no, it's his angel. 
They're so convinced. They're so, they're so persuaded that God has not answered their prayer. They think these outlandish scenarios are more likely. Their prayers were far from perfect. They were praying and praying and praying, and they didn't even see the answer. Their prayers were far from perfect, but God answered them. Prayer doesn't have to be perfect to be answered. It's easy to think that God is, like, impossible to please in prayer. Because we read passages, like, um, from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which says, But let the one who asks, ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's tossed and driven by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. And we think that means we have to be 100% sure that God is going to answer our prayer before we ask, otherwise, no deal, right? Otherwise, God just, like, rings the buzzer, falls in the bin, done. No prayer answered. And that's not how God is. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, God is our Father. He's our Father. He's not this great big fault finder looking for a reason not to answer our prayer. He's a Father. He loves us. Jesus says that God knows what we need before we ask. He says that God, as a father, knows how to give good gifts to his children. My older son, Joshua, just turned three, and he is still working out his sentence structure. So when he asks me for something, this is what he asks. He says, Daddy, peas want me to have a cup of milk, peas. Now, how, yeah, I know, adorable, right? How am I going to respond to my kid? Am I going to say, buddy, there's an L in please, you used it twice, and you're looking for, I would like, not want me. Better luck next time. Is that what I'm going to say to him? Or am I going to get that kid a cup of milk? I'm his father. I love him. I know what he wants. I know what he needs, and I want him to have it. God is a father. Martin Luther was reported to have said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. God wants to do good for his people. Prayer doesn't have to be perfect to be answered. But that raises another question, which is, if prayer doesn't have to be perfect to be answered, why haven't my prayers been answered? Why doesn't he answer every prayer? We know that he doesn't. We can, we can fast, and we can get on our faces, and we can crawl out to God, and we cannot receive what we've prayed for. What should we do about that? Well, the church in Jerusalem knew something about that too. So the third truth about prayer is we can persist in hope even when prayer seems unanswered. We have talked quite a lot about Peter in the sermon, about how God delivered Peter, brought him out of jail. We have not talked a lot about James. Peter was arrested and rescued. James was arrested and killed. Don't you think they prayed for James? Don't you think they asked God to set James free? They must have been heartbroken. He was the first of the apostles to be killed for his faith. He was a leader in the church at Jerusalem. It's important for us to see that, that the life of a Christian isn't just this like amazing string of answered prayers. There is rejoicing in the Christian life, but there's also mourning over prayers that aren't answered, people that aren't healed. There's mourning for Carlene this morning. And yet, when Peter was arrested, the fact that their prayers for James hadn't been answered didn't stop them from praying for Peter with earnestness, being united all night. We can all think of prayers we've prayed, things we thought were pleasing to God, consistent with his will, just the kind of thing we thought he ought to give us. 
and he didn't answer, or he hasn't yet. Maybe it's for physical healing. Maybe it's, maybe it's for provision, just enough money to pay off your, your car payment and your house payment, just enough to eat, and it still hasn't come through. Maybe you've prayed and prayed for your spouse or a child to trust in Jesus and, and no movement on that front. When I was in university, a young man in the campus ministry that I was involved in was hit by a car while riding his bike. And even though he was wearing a helmet, the impact was so severe that his brain swelled dangerously. So there were these college students just camped out in the hallway outside of his hospital room for days praying, and he died. And I can remember my pastor at the time at his memorial service just tears in his eyes, his voice cracking, saying, I really thought that God was going to heal him. I really thought that he would, and he didn't. And we all have experiences like that. So how can we persist in prayer? How can we persist in hope when our prayers seem unanswered? Well, first we need to remember that not yet feels like no until it happens. That, that we can pray for things and not see an immediate response, and it doesn't mean that it's not coming, right? In an age of uh, on-demand, streaming television, transatlantic jets, right? We, we have a trouble waiting for things. Like if we want a hot meal, microwave, right? It's, it's done. It's right there. We, we have a hard time waiting and not getting instantly gratified. But God often delays answering prayer as a way of teaching us patience and perseverance. George Mueller was... Um, he was a, a German guy, but he lived in Bristol, England. He was an evangelist, and he was an orphanage director, an amazing prayer. And he, he said this, I am now in 1864 waiting upon God for certain blessings for which I have daily besought him for 19 years and six months without one day's intermission. Still, the full answer is not yet given concerning the conversion of certain individuals. In the meantime, I have received many thousands of answers to prayer. He had prayed daily for almost 20 years for some people to trust Jesus who hadn't. And he continued to persist in hope. He persevered in praying. He knew that a not yet is not the same as a no. And, neither did, and the church knew that too, right? Peter was down to his last night in jail, and they prayed. The other thing, another thing we need to know is that God has an agenda bigger than just us having easy lives without pain. I, know, I wonder if you guys noticed the two kind of concluding things that Luke tells us after this episode. He kind of focuses in detail on Peter, and then he pulls way back and tells us these two things that happened after this episode. One is that Herod, this king who had killed James, imprisoned Peter, that Herod himself died because he gave a speech, and they praised him as a god, and he didn't give God the glory, and an angel killed him. Herod, who had tried to destroy the church, was himself destroyed by God, and it tells us that the word increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. So this is the bigger picture. This is the the stage on which God is operating, that there was this attempt by Herod to stop the message about Jesus from going out, to stop the good news from reaching more ears, and God put an end to Herod, and God's word triumphed. It multiplied. It went all over the place. That, that is the plane on which God is operating. That's his agenda. His agenda is not to give every Christian a life without grief. 
It's not to give us a life without pain. It's not to make things easy. His agenda is to send the gospel to the ends of the earth so that more people trust in Jesus, so that more people praise him. That's where God is operating. If it was his agenda to make life as easy as possible, James would have come out of jail too. But he didn't because God had something else he wanted to do. He used the church's answered prayers for Peter to send the word forward, but he also used their unanswered prayers for James. But there's something even more important to remember to help us persist in hope. We need to remember the unanswered prayer that changes all of ours. This passage contains an echo. I wonder if it sounds even a little familiar to you. Because Peter wasn't the first Galilean preacher to be arrested in Jerusalem on Passover week, was he? He wasn't the first person to be guarded by soldiers all night until he would be brought out in the morning to a crowd. Jesus had been here too. Jesus had done this years before, and Jesus wasn't rescued. The night before Jesus was, the night he was arrested, the night before he was killed, he, he asked his father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from my lips. I don't want to die, yet not my will, but yours be done. And, and he wasn't released. He wasn't rescued. He went to the cross. And because he did, because he went to the cross, he has opened the way to God for all of us for anyone who would trust in him. Because we don't deserve for God to hear us. None of us do. We've all fallen short. We all sin. We all love things more than we love God. We don't deserve to be heard. We deserve to be cut off. We deserve death and eternity apart from God. Jesus deserved to be heard. Jesus was God's eternal son. He had never sinned. He always pleased his father. But Jesus' prayer wasn't answered so that ours could be. Jesus Jesus went to the cross. He took what we deserved, death, being cut off. He took what we deserved so we could have what he deserves, eternity with God, open access, the, the confidence that God hears our prayers and loves us. That's what we have because Jesus' prayer wasn't answered. And so, so when we pray and our prayers aren't answered in the way that we want them to, we don't have to worry that it's because God doesn't love us. We don't have to worry that it's because God doesn't care, that he doesn't see, that he doesn't know. We don't have to worry that he's against us. We can know that it's because he has something greater in store. So we can be heartbroken by answered prayer, unanswered prayer and yet persist in hope. We can keep praying. We can keep asking God, knowing that a God who gave his own son for us knows how to give what's good. So here's what I hope you take away from this morning. God uses prayer, earnest, imperfect, even unanswered prayer, to advance the good news about Jesus. God answers prayer. He does. He wants us to know it. But if we can get practical, where should we start? Maybe you're a new Christian, and the idea of prayer sounds exciting to you, but you just don't know where to begin. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you feel like every time you start getting a little momentum in prayer, it just falls apart, and you're back where you started. I wouldn't if I were you, just resolve to pray more. I think that's getting the cart in front of the horse. Prayer is, it's conversation, it's talking, it's not just a thing to get done. And when you know God's love and his power, you know that he's for you, and you see how much you need him, you're going to pray. So I would, I would not start with you, I would start with God. And I would open this book, and I would see what God is like in his power, in his goodness, in his holiness, in his love, 
And I would praise him and thank him. And I would start there. I wouldn't start with your needs. But as you see how great God is, and you begin to see your needs, you're going to bring them to him in prayer. So here are some questions you can ask yourself to start seeing your need for God. Things, this starts, starts kind of filling up your list of things you can bring to God in prayer, or ways you can pray. So maybe you can take some time this afternoon or tomorrow morning or with your community group this week to think about these questions. First, what has God called me to do that I can't accomplish without his help? This is why we have prayer. He's called you to love him with all of your heart. Can you do that on your own? He's called husbands in here to lay down their lives for their wives as Jesus did for the church. Can you do that without his help? Can you be an ambassador for Christ? Can you work heartily as under the Lord with a bad boss? You can't do that without God. And when you see that, you'll pray. Another question you can ask is, what am I anxious about? So I've, I've begun to, to kind of think of anxiety as a little alarm, like a prayer alarm telling me, it's time to turn to God. So when I start to feel kind of a tightness in my chest, I start kind of, you know, br- slowing down my breathing to avoid panicking, I know it's time for me to turn to God. It's time for me to pray. So what are you worried about? Money? Your health? A major life decision you don't know what to do? Are you worried about what's going to happen to your kids? We need God to take care of these things. And when we see that, we'll pray. Thirdly and finally, we can ask, who do I care about who doesn't know Christ? We all have people in our lives that are spiritually dead. They're cut off from God. They don't know Jesus. And God would save them if they'd trust him. So we need God to change their hearts, to give them faith, to turn them to him. And when we see that God can do that, we'll pray. And if we want to grow in praying, like we see this church praying, we need to pray together. Every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, there's a group of us that meets right outside those doors and we pray for the service. And if you, if you have experienced blessing through sunrise at any time, if, you've, if God stirred your heart to love for him, if you've been encouraged by his word, if you've grown in friendships, it could be that God used those people praying on that morning to make a difference in your life. Every Sunday, you are welcome to join us at 9 a.m. out there. It's hot out there, but I can see that you guys are fine with heat. So I know that you can deal with that. Please join us on Sunday morning, asking for God's blessing on this time and for the needs in our church. And next month, we're going to have another opportunity to pray together with our annual prayer vigil. God has given us an amazing gift. He he gave his own son so the way could be clear for us to come to him with our needs and know that he loves us and hears us. So let's help one another open the gift and use it to the full. Let's pray now. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he, that he, Um, as your word says, as a great high priest has opened the way to the holy place for us, that we can come to the mercy seat. We can draw near to you in time of need. And we want to draw near to you, Father. So please help us to see you rightly as a great father to those who trust in Jesus, as a good God who wants to do good to us. And please help us to see how much need we have for you. And help us to pray. God, I, I just long to see your power released in the life of this church, because we've prayed, because we've asked you, because we've drawn out your power through prayer. And so, God, please, please turn us to prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.